there are certain foods that are fine by themselves, but are always better when you pair them with something else. Like they're more complete when you have them combined with something else, right? One such item is chips, chips. And I think there's um, somewhere over here, there's a bag of chips. Does somebody have those somewhere underneath your chair, underneath tortilla chips specifically? Aha! Would you like one? You're good? Okay. So these are tortilla chips, you know, like you, you get at a Mexican restaurant or Kroger. Um, and this is, this is Kroger's version of tortilla chips. You want one, CJ? I know you do. Come on. Yeah. Now, now tell me how that tastes. I mean, pretty good. It'd be better, though, if it had something to go with it, right? What goes with tortilla chips? Salsa! All right, someone over here has salsa. Um, if you'll look under your chair, somewhere there is salsa. There should be, unless someone stole it. Over here? Okay. All right. So, um, salsa, it goes great with tortilla chips. You really need, you need it to complete this. I mean, if not, it's just kind of this dry, bland cracker. I'm not going to open this because that would be disaster. I could just see that going very badly. Um, but chips and salsa, they, they go together. They're meant to be together, right? Uh, there's another staple of, uh, of people everywhere, especially children, but hey, I like it too, um, peanut butter. So somewhere over here in this section, there should be peanut butter underneath a chair. There we go. Miss Sandy has the Skippy peanut butter. Um, if you want, you can like dip your finger in that and I mean, you feel free to, you sure? You sure? This is Skippy natural creamy peanut butter. I mean, it's, it's the good stuff. Skippy, I don't know, some of you probably like Jif better, but Skippy's good too. Um, and what goes really well with peanut butter? I'm not going to ask because some, sometimes you guys have some weird combinations. So I'm going to just tell you it's jelly. Jelly goes good with peanut butter and what? See, I knew somebody was going to say something crazy. Banana and peanut butter. Goodness gracious. This is blackberry jelly, too. This is the really good stuff. Um, we don't need that grape. You know, we want blackberry. So peanut butter and jelly. I mean, that just goes together. Even if you don't particularly like peanut butter, you probably are okay with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It just goes together. And the same with chips and salsa. Peanut butter by itself, it's okay. It's all right. I mean, you can dip your finger in and be good with it, but man, peanut butter and jelly just brings it all together. And the same with chips and salsa. And the reason I bring all that up, it's not just to make you hungry. It's not just to make you want to run out to Rio Grande or Campestre um, or to run home and and fix food. That's not the, the point. The point is to bring something home to your mind, which is the fact that there are things that we often separate and isolate that are really meant to be together. And that's what we're going to be talking about in this series, the head and the heart. Often uh, what we do is we separate and isolate the head or the intellect from the heart or from emotion. You know, we tend to really focus on emotion to the exclusion of logic and reason and thinking, or vice versa. We, we focus really, really hard on the intellect and the intellectual aspect of ourselves to the exclusion of the emotion. 
And we do that, we do that as a church too, often. Um, maybe you have been part of a church that was uh, dominantly intellectual in nature. You know, that, that uh, they might as well have put that on their, on their sign or their banner. You know, uh, that that was really what was focused on, the intellect and, and really being a church that prided itself on um, being scholars and really taking uh, that approach, the mind focus uh, to things. Maybe some of you have been part of a church that went the other direction. Maybe uh, it was a church that really relied heavily on the emotional aspect of worship and Christianity to the exclusion sometimes of the intellect and of actually giving time for deep, meaningful thought. Uh, Sometimes that happens, and it's easy for us to do that as human beings in a variety of different ways and a variety of different things. But what we're going to see throughout this series is that God intends and desires for us to love, to know, to worship, and to serve him with our whole being, with every part of ourselves, with the intellect and with emotion, with the mind and the heart. So that's where we're going with this series, The Head and the Heart. What does God's Word have to say about the importance of bringing all of it together before him and allowing him to use the whole person, uh, not only to know him better, but also to make him known better. So the head and the heart, that's where we're going to go. And kind of the base text for us for the whole series, which we'll be coming back to, uh, is this from Deuteronomy 6.5. Deuteronomy 6.5. And it says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Right away you see all repeated, and so that shows us that the intention is for 100% of each of these to be given. Uh, It's bad math, but it's the reality that God has set up and what he desires for us. All of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. And I want to take this kind of line by line, because what we read here in the English with heart and soul and strength, that's not exactly what the Hebrew expressed, which is what this was originally recorded in, Hebrew from the Old Testament. And so as we see that we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, uh, what is meant by that is actually much more in line with what we would think of as the head. You know, when we think of the heart, we typically think of emotion, right? If we get past the, the actual physical Uh, organ, uh, we think of emotion, we think of love, and we think of Valentine's Day and the mushy stuff and those those romantic comedy movies that the guys, our wives, just love to watch, and we don't. But will, if our heart is in the right place, get it? You with me? Oh boy, tough crowd today. All right. So, yes, with our heart, we typically think of that as kind of the emotional uh, focus of, of the human. And that's not really what the case is with the Hebrew here. Um, when, when the Hebrew speaks of the heart in this passage, uh, it's really 
talking about loving God with your personality and your will. It's actually what drives the ability to perceive. It's, it's the ability to think through things and to reason. It's your purpose, you know, your will that you're going to apply to something. And so really that lines up with the head, you know, with the mind. We're to love God with our personality and our will. And as the text says, with all of our personality, all of our will, all of our reason. Well, we're also told to love God with all of our soul. And the soul in the Hebrew is actually more in line with what we would attach to the heart. This is loving God with your emotion and your inner being. Kind of the, the you that nobody sees. What makes you you? It's your, your deep passions, your affections, and your emotional responses. So we see here that we're to love God with our will and our perception and all that goes along with that, our reason. So let's just kind of put that under the head. And we're also to love God with our emotional responses and our passions and our desires, our affections, our inner being. So the heart, as we would define that. Loving God with all of our head, loving God with all of our heart. And then the last part of this verse says, and with all your strength. Now, when we think of strength, we think of might, we think of power, we think of energy. Um, But that's not exactly what is meant here in this text. Um, When it says your strength, what this is really talking about is loving God with your whole person. Literally, in the Hebrew, it's love God with your very. And that doesn't work too well in English. But what that means is with the very part of yourself that, that you see on display in your life. It's the, the very essence of your being. The very wholeness of yourself is actually literally how it reads. So it's kind of saying, I, I want you to love me uh, with your mind. God is saying here, I want you to love me with your heart. All of, of each of that. Love me with all of your thinking, all of your reason. Love me with all of your passion, all of your desire, all of your affection. And put it all together and just love me with everything. In other words, it's give God all you've got. Give him your everything, your whole self. Leave nothing out from under his control, his use, and from worshiping him with our everything. And that's hard for us because what we find easy in our lives, I know it's true of me and I think it's true of you, and again it's true on the church level, is that we major on on one or two things, and we tend to neglect other areas. And maybe you have been, like I said at the beginning, part of a faith tradition or a church where something was really focused on to the exclusion of the other, whether that's the intellect or emotion, and you saw that that just doesn't work. It left you empty if that was your experience. And that's going to be true of your personal walk with the Lord too. Maybe in your relationship with him, uh, there's been times in your life where you just feel like something is lacking, something is missing, and you can't figure it out. And hopefully someone came alongside you or as you approached a pastor or a mentor and you told them where you were, how you were feeling, they were able to, through God's word and through his spirit, counsel you. And you were able to see that what was missing was due to the fact that you were focusing so much on one aspect of your Christian life that you were neglecting another, and so you weren't complete. 
It's kind of like what happens when we go to a Mexican restaurant. You know, we, we sit there and we're talking and they bring out, every single restaurant does this, they bring out a basket of chips, right? Much better than these. They're fresh and they're hot. They come right out of the oven and they bring that wonderful bowl of salsa or maybe that uh, chipotle ranch or the white cheese dip. Hungry yet? A little bit? Yeah, and they bring that out, and what happens? You start eating them, crunch, crunch, dip, dip, crunch. You start eating those, and if you're not careful, they bring out the entree, which is the completeness of the meal, and you're what? You're full. Now, that's not going to be true for some of you. You could eat like probably three baskets of chips, and you'd still be fine because you just have that appetite, uh, college freshmen especially, right? Um, but man, it's, it's easy to do if we're not careful. Usually that happens in our family. We'll go out, you know, we'll be sitting there, and whether it's a Mexican restaurant or another restaurant, they, they bring out something like that, or we foolishly order an appetizer, and we chow down on that, and we're already, though, looking forward to this wonderful entree that's coming. We're excited about it, especially if my dad is with us. You've heard me talk about him. Um, but what happens so many times is it comes and it's this wonderful, beautiful, savory thing, but we're full because we filled up on the appetizer, which was not a complete meal. Do this all the time with our kids. You know, they'll come home from school and they're starving, so we'll let them have a little snack, but we, we put a limit on that and we say, okay, no more. Why? Because we want them to eat dinner. What's better for them? What's a complete meal, the total package of nourishment and everything that they need. And what's hard for us in this context is that it's very easy to focus on the head and the intellect and thinking or to focus on the emotional component of even our worship with the Lord and and, uh, going through our Christian life in that way because we're all going to be wired, humanly speaking, naturally toward one or the other. Many of you are going to just be naturally more prone to focus on the intellect. And that's what's going to drive you. That's what resonates with you. Uh, You're deep thinkers and you like to focus on things that are more profound. Others of you, um, you tend to resonate more with the emotional component of things. Um, You're more of an emotional person. And so you're going to naturally gravitate toward that. And both are fine. Both are good. Both have their strengths. It's not bad to be a deep thinker. And it's not bad to encourage deep thought. It's not bad to be someone that uh, is more drawn to the emotional side of things. Emotions, as are true of thoughts as well, are not bad in and of themselves. It's what we do or don't do with them that can lead to error. And so we need to keep that in mind. And what is easy for us to do is to kind of camp out on one or the other. And if we do that, we'll end up getting full on something that's not going to fill us up, really. We're going to end up kind of settling for something that's not really complete. And we need to be on guard against that. We need to recognize that is not what God has called us to. He has called us to love him with all of our being. He's the one that gave us thoughts, and he's the one that gave us our mind. He's also the one that gave us, as we know it, to be our heart, our emotional capacity. Emotions are from him just as much as thoughts are. 
You know, the, the heart is from him as much as the intellect, and he wants to use both. And we certainly need to love God with our complete person. Why? Well, we should love God completely with our whole self because he so completely loved us. Think about the measure of God's love. The Bible says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. How did that happen? That came through one means and one means only, the Lord Jesus Christ. God looked at humanity and our broken, our fallen, rebellious state and didn't say, well, that's fine, you're on your own. See how this goes for you. He didn't do that. Instead, the Bible tells us very clearly, God so loved the world. Love was so full of his heart that he gave the ultimate gift. He gave his first. He gave his best. He gave completely. He held nothing back. He gave his one and only son to us. That whoever believes in him, that son that was given, should not perish, though we deserve that but should have everlasting life. There's a picture in the Old Testament of Abraham, the great patriarch, who God gave what we would see as an impossible challenge. He said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to take your only son, which wasn't technically true because he had Ishmael, but in that culture, the only son was the one who had the place of prominence in the family, the one who was going to inherit everything. It was the first position in the family, and that's what Isaac was. And he said, take your only son, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering to me. What? This is the son of promise. This is the son that, that we prayed for and longed for, and, and you said that you would make a great nation from. You want me to, to do What? But Abraham did it anyway. He, he followed through. He took Isaac up to the mountain, Moriah. He tied him down. He was fully prepared to kill his very son in obedience to God, in worship to God, in a statement of supreme love and devotion to him. And we know the rest. God stopped that. He said, don't harm the boy, for I know that you love me. And really what he was saying there is, I know you love me supremely, Abraham. I know you love me the most before anything else. And God kept Abraham from offering what was his first and his best, what was his most cherished. But God did not hold himself back from giving his first and best to us. He gave to us his ultimate. He gave to us the fullness of his love in the person of his son, the Bible says we love God because he first loved us, and we need to understand that he loved us completely, holding nothing back, and so we should love him completely as well, holding nothing back. Love him with our full being, our head, our heart, our intellect, our emotions, the will, all of it, everything that makes us us, we need to love him with that. We need to also understand the problem that this represents for us, the tension, because as you look at yourself, as I look at myself, and we see our limitations, we see our weakness, I have to admit what you do too, which is that I don't know if there's ever a time where I can say, I love God completely. I love Him with all of my mind and all of my heart and everything in between. 
I mean, I, that's certainly what I desire. That's what I aim for. But man, I fall short of that every single day. And so do you, right? So there's a problem we're faced with. The command, as we see here, is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, your, all your mind, all your heart, your everything, your resources, your talents, your time, your desires, your ambitions, your family, your job, your car, your vacation, all of it, all of it comes under the umbrella of what we are to love God with and worship him through. But in our humanity, and we come up short on that all the time. When we try to do better or we try harder, it doesn't happen. It doesn't work. So then what's the solution? What's the answer? If we're supposed to do that, that's the command, but we fail to do that in ourselves, in our own ability, what's the answer? Well, here's what I want you to know and to remember. God always provides the power to do what he commands. God always provides the power to do what he commands. There is no command in all of his word that he has communicated and given to us that he does not also provide the power to follow through and to obey. That's true of all things in the Christian life. And if you're in Christ, my fellow Christian, you need to remember you have the very power of God dwelling in you in the Spirit of God. The Bible tells us that the very Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. That means in everything that we need. The Bible says that God has given us through His Spirit everything necessary to live a life of godliness in Christ Jesus. We have it. We have what we need. We have the mechanism. We have the momentum. We have the fuel. We have the power in the form of God himself, the God of all eternity, the God who breathed life into man, the God who raised Jesus from the dead, the God who empowered the early church to go forward and do incredible things, the God who saved you continues to dwell in you to give you power to obey all that he has set forth for you. We need to remember that. We need to believe that. We need to apply it. That means we, moment after moment, we come to God and we say, God, I know you're directing me to live righteously. I know you're directing me to deny self. I know, as Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, I'm to love you with my whole being. But God, I just can't do it. It's not that I don't want to, although sometimes that's true as well. Sometimes we don't have even the right desire. And that has to be fueled and empowered by the Spirit as well. But even when we have the desire, we come up short. Because there's a disconnect between the head and the heart and the hands, right? And so we need to moment by moment say, oh God, I need you. I need you every moment, not, not every hour, every moment, every second, I need you. I need you to enable me to obey you and to live for you and to love you with, with all that I am supposed to. And every time, church, every time when we come to God in humility and we come to God in sincerity in that way, expressing our need, he is faithful to supply what we need and what we ask for. He delights in doing it. The Holy Spirit is eager to empower you. 
but he does not force himself on you. Wouldn't it be nice sometimes if he would? (laughs) Man, that would be nice, but that's not how it works. We have to yield ourselves to him. That's our responsibility. And then he will do the rest every time. The other thing that I want to share with you and just challenge you to be thinking through is don't banish the head or the heart from your relationship with God just because others are off balance. And this applies to the church as well. This applies corporately as well as individually. Don't banish the head or the heart from your relationship with God, individual believer, church, just because others are off balance. And we know that's the the case. We can look at examples all over the place of churches that err to one side or the other. And, And maybe you've seen that in your own life personally. But just because others are off balance doesn't mean we just throw it all out. Just because maybe you've had bad experience with emotion doesn't mean emotions are bad from here on out or intrinsically bad. The same thing, maybe you've, you've had experience with people being cold and, and just kind of stuck on the intellect and you feel like maybe they're just robots and so you just want to try to stay away from that and it's led you to more of an emotional response or you look at, at other churches maybe who are cold in their approach um, because of the the heavy emphasis on the mind to the exclusion of the heart. But just because that's true doesn't mean that we shouldn't be approaching both at the same time. And the balance that we are to have is not a 50-50 balance like we're used to seeing in life. Rather, it's 100 and 100. It's all of our heart and all of our mind, and we need to make sure we pursue that and that we embrace that. And then I also I want to leave you with this. This is very important. Don't let your emotions conquer your mind and don't let your mind kill your emotions. Don't let your emotions conquer your mind and don't let your mind kill your emotions. Sometimes we, we get those, those things backwards. We think with our emotions and then we know what that results in. That results in bad things happening. Guys, when we think with our emotions in our relationship with our wives, bad things happen. Same thing is true for our wives with our husbands and parents with our kids. When we, when we constantly react in an emotional manner, nothing gets solved. Nothing, nothing good comes from that. Um, when we allow that to rule our mind. That does not mean we don't ever react in an emotional manner. There's a time and a place for that. Emotions are good. Um, We need to be able to express our emotions. And men typically, for the most part, uh, there's always exception, but for the most part, men, we find that harder than, than women do. So we need to recognize that and we need to be willing and able to exercise emotion. Um, But we never want to do one to the exclusion of the other, and we never want to let one supremely rule or reject the other. We need to make sure we have the balance that's intended by God and that we approach him that way and that we approach other people that way. And we're going to dive into that deeper as we go on in the series. We're going to be talking about the specific purpose that God has for the intellect and and that he does want us to use that very much. 
and that we should approach him and other people with our mind. We're also going to talk about and zero in on the emotional component. Then we're going to tie it all together and see practically what it looks like to love God, to know him, to worship him, to serve him and others with our whole being. That's where we're headed with the head and the heart. What I want to encourage you to do is I want you to talk, if you have a spouse, I want you to talk today when you go home as you're maybe eating those tortilla chips, dipping them in salsa, or wherever else you may be, over lunch, or at some point today while this is fresh, I want you to talk to each other about what you think your spouse is strong in or focused on a lot of the time, as in the head or the heart, and interact with each other on that. And as you talk to each other, try to see how you can impact the other person in the areas that maybe they are short in, okay? And how you can better bring to the table a more complete package. If you don't have a husband or a wife, it's just you, think about how that is true of you as an individual, and get, get some time just with the Lord and ask Him by His Spirit to reveal to you um, how it is that you typically operate. What you most of the time side with to the exclusion of the other. And ask Him to reveal how you can practically kind of bring that all together in a more complete way. So do some time um, of thinking with this and pondering. Uh, don't let this just go in one ear and out the other. Uh, I think God will use this to better all of us if we will actually spend some time thinking about it. Okay, Let me pray for you, and then we'll, uh, we'll worship the Lord together one more time before we go our separate ways, all right? Father, I want to thank you for giving us intellect and emotion. I want to thank you for giving us a mind and a heart. Father, I pray that you would empower each of us by your Spirit to be people that obey and apply the command that we're told to in Deuteronomy 6.5, which for thousands of years the Jewish nation, the Hebrew people, understood as the most solemn of all commands. And your son, when he was here, actually called that the greatest command. And we'll see that in more detail as we go forward together. But Father, I, I pray that as we all find it very hard to live out such a command, that we would each resolve to depend on your spirit to empower us in this way. You did not just give us this command and then leave us on our own to figure out how we can come up with ways of obeying it. You didn't just give us an impossible command and then hold it over our heads in judgment when we failed to live up to it. You gave us a command which was greater than we have an ability to obey because it forces us to depend on the power of the Spirit, and it forces us to depend on your grace when we fail to do so. So please help us to be people that yield to the empowerment that you've provided through your Spirit, 
and help us to be people who do truly live this out, that approach you and love you and worship you with our whole being, not just our mind and not just our heart, but together. Help us to be people who love one another and serve one another with our whole selves and to recognize your purpose in using the whole person in our approach to you and our walk with you and in our impact on other people. Bless as we continue in this series and as we dive deeper, open up your word to us and may it make the impact that you know we need to have. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.